the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Today, we are going to take a different look. We're going to look at something interesting, and we're going to call it the Nuldeki Shualian paradigm. Uh, you know, if you want to go and Google it right now, I would say hold your horses because Jay is going to unpack all of this. So, Jay, what is it that we're talking about? I know who Nuldeki is, obviously, but for the sake of the people who will be watching. But you have no idea who Shuali is. Well, that's yeah. why it's a mouthful. And I'm surprised yeah. you even got done through it. You got it. Yeah. You said it correctly. Most people cannot even say it that well. It is a tongue twister. But that's not really what's important. We're getting back now to what Shoemaker is saying. We're getting back to his book, and he is now bringing up some uh, some real problem here. He's saying this whole idea that Uthman is the one responsible, what we just went through all these last episodes, going through all these uh, the reference after reference, in Al-Buhari, Volume 6, Hadith number 509 and 510, uh, where this was all done by Uthman. That means everything happens at Uthman has some real problems. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, there is two men who are responsible for pinpointing and zeroing in, much like what Wilfred Smith did earlier with the whole idea that you must not ever write anything or publish anything or say anything publicly uh, mm-hmm. that is not considered, uh, that is not acceptable to the Muslim community. And that became a, a paradigm for all scholars and academics that exists even today in the 21st century, though it was done in the last century. We go even further back to Noldeke and Schwali, these two different scholars who we're introducing this idea in Germany, which then permeated the rest of the academia in Europe, which then permeated academia here. And it's called the Noldeke Schwalian paradigm. And basically, it's, it's just that, the idea that Uthman is the one we have to go to, that the Quran we have today was written down in 652 in its entirety, all 114 surahs, everything you see here in this book here, was written at that time, and that we should not criticize it, we just should accept it, at face value. Who is Noldeki? Who is Schwali? Well, Theodor Noldeki is from Germany. He was the one, he was uh, born uh, in uh, the 1800s. I can't remember the exact day. He died in 1919. But this paradigm, uh, this uh, idea was introduced by him when he was in his 30s. He was very young in 1860. So he was born in the 1830s, and by 1860, he introduced this paradigm. We must accept 
what the Islamic tradition say. There's no other, there's really nothing else out there. There's nothing else that we need to go to. Therefore, use it as what, what we must teach in all of our schools. Yeah, because he wrote the history of the Quran and he struggled with the different narratives that are found in there. So this is why, rather than struggle, why do we just accept it? Shwali comes later in the 1900s before he died, just before he died, about 19, early 1900s. He died in 1919. And he agreed with Noldeke and said that this must, this, he put his rubber stamp on it. Though what was interesting, he didn't agree with the first recension. He didn't agree with the Abu Bakr recension. So here is interesting. Here you have two German scholars who are saying, let's accept the Uthmanic recension as the official text, though one of them saying, but I don't accept the first one. So why didn't he accept the first one if he accepts the second one? Yeah, if I, if I may interject something, again, it goes back to the history of the Quran that Nerdlecki, uh, um, you know, Theodore Nerdlecki wrote about because he discovered that there are multiple accounts about the first recension. One says Abu Bakr. Another one suggests it was Omar himself. And that's why there is the struggle about at least uh, solidifying that first recension. So again, you go back to the second recension and accept it and move on. You're kind of jumping the gun again because we're going to get to that because that's well, you problems. didn't tell me about that, uh, so right, that's, that's why I'm jumping the gun. We're going to get to there, but you all are a little take a little bit of my thunder away by saying that. Let's continue on. Thank you, John Lord. Burton in the 1970s. So he's more in our lifetime. Uh, he agrees with both of them, and he says this uh, in in 1977 on page 174, 226, and 234. A perfect this is a say this is a perfect example of a prevalence of investigation by intuition in the story collaborative work on the history of the Quran. So he's agree with it, but he's been a little bit cryptic in this in his constant. Alfred Welch in the Encyclopedia of Islam, which is the standard work now that gives the whole story, in 1986 said it best when he wrote the unanimity with which an official text is attributed to Uthman in the face of a lack of convincing evidence to the contrary leads most Western scholars to accept that the Quran we have today, at least in terms of the number and arrangement of the surahs and the basic structure of the continental text, goes back to the time of Uthman, under whose authority the official text was produced. He wrote that in 1986. This has become the standard. You open up the Encyclopedia of Islam, and that's what you're going to get. So this is the norm. This has now become canonized within thinking, within thought. I, I, and, I mean, all the studies that I had done, and you grew up with this, uh, didn't call it Noldekishwali, uh, but here in the West, they call it the Noldekishwali because it, it is almost like a rubber stamp that everybody must follow, don't question. It just makes three. You notice what well, it says, um, uh, convincing evidence to, there's no convincing evidence to the contrary, like no one's ever questioned this. Well, Shoemaker is going to do just that. He's going to have a lot of problems with this. And he may be one of the first that actually puts it into print, but it's not. He's not the first to think so. Others have said so, but no one's been paying attention. There is lots mm -hmm. of problem with the Noldeki Shwali paradigm, but we need to introduce it. It's that important. It has become the canonical the viewpoint for almost all our scholarship here in the United States. It's the same way over in Europe. Why has it become there? What we're going to do. We're going to look at some other possibilities and some difficulties in the next episode because already Shoemaker is coming up with a difficulties that he's come up with. And also he's going to show you that which Uthmanic recension are we talking about? 
because there's <laughs> there there are there are almost ten different possibilities he's going to come up with. But I'm going to hold off and show you in the next episode what we're talking about. Well, I mean, we, we still have a couple of minutes, uh, so uh, let's go back again now to these claims by Mildecki, Schwally, Alfred. Uh, basically, um, it's it's obvious to me that these scholars at least acknowledge one important fact: Uthman, a human being whom you and I do not know of a single hadith reference that he was given an authority by the Prophet of Islam, or at least that he received revelation or inspirations to collect the Quran as we know it today, or even he was given the authority by the Islamic community to be the guy who can spearhead collecting what was revealed to Muhammad, right? No. So they're acknowledging it's a human being by the name of Uthman is the single person who is responsible for the Quran today. There flies the idea that the Quran was revealed by Allah and preserved by Allah. That's number one. Number two, how can these scholars back then or even today reconcile the differences between the claim that we have later Quranic manuscripts, let's say 8th, 9th century, 10th century, and anything that is apparent to us, it could have been earlier than that, writings that were earlier than the standard narrative at least, meaning there is a fluidity at least up until a certain point before the standardization of the reading. How can they reconcile the fact that Allah, according to the Quran, preserved his word, what the modern scholars, as you showed it correctly, not a letter changed, not a word changed, not a phrase changed, how can all of these scholars, whether Muslim or, uh, you know, Islamicists, reconcile all of this? They can't, and you'll see why. But that's what Shoemaker, Shoemaker is going to bring those very points up. So hold on, folks. We're not finished yet. There's an awful lot yet we have to unpack. It just gets better and better. And what are we going to share next time so that people are prepared? Look at these 10 possibilities. What 10 possibilities for what? For the Uthmanic. What Uthmanic recension are they talking about? Right. So we are going to talk about possibilities concerning what we call the Uthmanic Quran. Now, by the way, the, the name Uthmanic Quran is telling in and of itself because it's not called the Muhammadan Quran. It is not called the Allah's Quran. It's called Uthmanic Quran. And that in and of itself can sense a lot of bills and whistles uh, when it comes to And Shoemaker is going to ask that question yeah. as well, but that's yet to come. Wonderful. Thank you, as always. Thank you, everyone, for watching. We encourage you, as always, to subscribe to our channel, our YouTube channel, Syria International. Share it with others as well. And we truly encourage you, as well, to consider becoming part of our Patreon team. Your support will help in producing such quality videos, bring in scholars and uh, wonderful guests like Dr. J. Smith, and at the same time, our hope at the end of the day is to bring awareness about all of these issues. Uh, we want our Muslim friends, whether they have access to the Arabic or not, whether they have access to material like this or not, we want to dissect things for them. We want to make it so simple and easy for them to go ahead and investigate the material sharing, examine the evidence that we are presenting in hope that you will come home to our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the whole idea. We love you. We want you to know the truth. We're not here to try to antagonize you. We're not here to try to attack you. We're doing this because we care for you and we care for your soul. We care for your eternity. So hopefully the message of love is well received. Until next time, 
This is Al Fadi. God bless. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to CIRAinternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. So, Dr. J., which Uthmanic Quran are we talking about? Yeah, well, this is a real conundrum. You know, if, if you're, one thing you have to love about the Islamic traditions, they are so full of contradictions. <laughs> but God knows best. But God, uh, yeah, God bless him because I wish he did know best. Because if he would, so, if he knew so well, then why did he have so many contradictory uh, introductions and phraseology and also authorship? Because it's the authorship we're looking at. And it's not me that came up with these. These are all Shoemaker. Shoemaker found these. And all that Shoemaker did is just, listen, when you're talking about the Uthmanic recension, you're talking about that text. Let's see what the traditions say. Let's just unpack each one of them because there's a lot of them that fly against each other and in the face of what we know, the common knowledge is from Al-Buhari. Al-Buhari says it was Uthman. It's very clear. But he's not the only one that talked about it. He's not the only one referred to it. So let's start putting him up there, and let's just see the ones that he's come up with. Number one, Salim ibn Mak'il compiled the Quran in 632. So that's the first one. So we have here that a complete, someone not even Uthman compiled it. Salim ibn Mak'il, yeah. Then we have a second one, Umar alone, without Abu Bakr, collected the first Correct. Throw Abu, uh, Abu Bakr out of there. So he himself, the second caliph, was the one that did it. But then we have Abu Bakr without Umar, commissioned Zaid ibn Tabi to compile. So that just completely confronts it. Here's a third possibility. Mm-hmm. And then a fourth possibility. After Abu Bakr died, Umar then commissioned Zaid ibn Tabi to compile the Quran. So even while, if not while he's living, this is after he died, he finally did so because he realized he needed to get this done. This hadn't been done before. A fifth possibility was that Umar asked Abu Bakr to have it com- compiled. He didn't want it to have it compiled because he could. He said the same excuse that Zaid ibn Thabit had said, and that is, how can I do something that the Prophet hadn't done? So he waits for him to die, and then he has it done after, after he's dead. That's a fifth possibility that Shoemaker found. And then the sixth one is another one that you and I have heard, and we've heard this many times, and both, he found both Sunni and Shia sources for saying this, that Ali, Muhammad's cousin and son-in-law, it was he who actually compiled the And Quran. he compiled it in an amazing uh, speed, three days, in one weekend. In one weekend. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So you can see this is, this, that, uh, that is a sixth one that we've heard this, and I knew about this, but I've never really thought about putting it together. Thank you, Shoemaker, for doing this. That's not all. Aisha, the favorite wife of Muhammad, also compiled that she was the one that was commissioned to do so or commissioned herself to do so. An eighth one that he refers to are the four companion codices that were compiled not by Uthman at all. And we've already referred to that. We've intimated about it. One was Ubay ibn Qab, who was up there in Damascus. Another was by Ibn Masud, uh, who was uh, in what is today Baghdad. Back then it was mm-hmm. uh, either Hira or Kufa. And then you had Ibn Musa, who was in Basra, which is in southern Iraq today. And then you have a fourth one by Al-Aswad from Hims, the city of Hims. So 
Here's four companion codices that come long after Uthman. This is in the later uh, 7th century, but from four different cities, that's where their compilations are. We've already talked about this. Ubay ibn Qad had 116 surah, uh, surahs in his codex. Ibn, Kab, yeah. ibn Musa. Masud had either 110 or 111, mm-hmm. depending on which. Again, you can't even get that uh, that clarity. And then even Musa, though he had 114, but they weren't the same 114, nor did they even have the same names as the one that uh, Zaidi bin Thabit, and then you have this one by Al-Aswad in hymns. So that's an eighth possibility of mm-hmm. another Uthmanic Quran, even in this case, they come after Uthman. And then number nine, Saif ibn Umar. Look at the date. This is way back in the 8th century in his book, uh, Book of the Conquest, suggests there were several competing collections during Uthman's reign, and he authorizes a Medinan version to purge the others. So in some ways, that's close to al-Buhari Hussein, but not many Muslims will agree with that. In fact, most Muslims, when you bring this to the fore, they say, no, 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 there can't be other Uthman. These are not, that's nothing more than dialectical differences. But that's not what Saif ibn Umar, he would say, no, these are different codices that were competing with the Uthmanic recension or the Uthmanic codex that became the standard. And number 10, the last one, according to Ibn Shabah, and this is in the 9th century, the Quran was compiled before 632. That means while the Prophet was still living. Exactly. During the life of Muhammad. In multiple versions, and Abu Bakr and Uthman were only trying to establish the authoritative one among them. So he was trying to say, well, listen, these were all ones that were given authority by Muhammad. And some people do refer to the seven readings that Muhammad was, uh, uh, that uh, when people coming in from to Mecca or they're coming into Medina where he was living, and they were hearing the recitation. They couldn't understand this recitation. So he asked Jibril if he could bring it down in seven readings right. so that they could have it in their own dialect. And so these are readings. But these aren't codices. These are readings. They, you don't have codices of dialectical codices, as we said in a previous episode. You can't have that without the dots and without the vowels. So obviously these are nothing that... that Oral readings of the way you look at the word, you pronounce it different. You look at the word, you pronounce it different. You either a or u or e vowel, or you put a nun, a ta, a ta, a ba, or ya, depending on where you put the dot. So that's what that's referring to. But again, this is a real problem. Which one are we talking about? Which Uthmanic recension? Ten different possibilities, all kinds of different variations. Can you see why this is so confusing and why, obviously, this suggests there's an awful lot of human manipulation here? Absolutely. And Noel Decky, uh, in his book, The History of the Quran, did make reference to a number of those uh, actually, let's call them, accounts. And he was referring to them as contradictory accounts, you know, uh, especially the, the ones about Umar and Abu Bakr, which famously everybody knew that, uh, according to the tradition, that Umar approached Abu Bakr out of fear of losing the Quran because of the death of many Hafaz, you know, basically, or memorizers during the uh, Battle of Yamama. And he told them that we need to really do this. And they bring Zayd ibn Thabit, uh, Zayd ibn, uh, uh, ibn Thabit, basically, and he was concerned that he has to do something that the Prophet himself did not authorize and yeah. so on. But then you discover that, well, there's a possibility that actually Omar is the one who did it after the death of Abu Bakr, or that Abu Bakr and Omar did not agree, and Abu ba- Uthman waited, you know, or Abu Bakr is the one who initiated. Muslims don't hear these things, by the way. Although, for instance, Doldeki will quote to you 
traditional accounts. These are writings by early Muslims yeah. concerning this. But you don't hear about this. Now, you thank know. you for Schumacher that he's actually putting these to the fore and that what we're going to do is just take it and so the whole world hears it. The world needs to know about this. It is not as simple as saying the Uthmanic recension. Which Uthmanic recension? There's quite a few variations, quite a few categories, quite a few different supports for different other traditions that they're above and beyond, even with Uthman himself. In the next couple of minutes, I want to unpack this further from uh, uh, from uh, the, the, the area of uh, what does this mean to our Muslim friends? Let's talk to them. Let's speak to them. Well, I would suggest, you know, for Muslims, if you're listening to this, because you have been told something that is only, and this is the only way to look at it, and I understand that because I'm hearing it from you. You're the ones who have been telling me for almost 40 years that this was, there has only ever been one Quran. There has only been one revelation. And this revelation that came down to Muhammad was verbatim the exact same thing that Uthman put together. You've already said, we've already shown you already today uh, that or the, in previous episodes that you already, there are already two between 632 and 652. That's two Qurans. Then we have another four companion codices that we talked about. So there's another four Qurans. Uh, we're not even getting into the Qirat and the Ahruf. Can you see there's a difficulty with your narrative? What you've been told from the time you were yay high to a grasshopper, understandably, it's the only thing you're ever going to be told. It's the only thing that I was told. I assumed that the, these were correct until I started reading the traditions, until I started reading other scholars. And certainly now, until I started reading Shoemaker, did I realize that an awful lot of this is fraudulent. You have not been told the truth. You have not been told what we now know. You're going to have to go back to your imam. You're going to have to go back to your authorities. And you're going to have to ask him the questions we're coming up with. Because notice everything that Shoemaker is introducing is from your own traditions, from your own authority, from your own categories. Therefore, you need to go and deal with it. Please stop making these claims unless you can support it. And if you're going to continue to make these claims, and if you don't like what the traditions are saying, if you don't like all these multiplicity of different authorships, even of the Uthmanic recension, then go back and show us from the 7th century what really did happen. I'd love you to find that. I'd love you to tell us. Because we've been asking this, uh, our, my, my good friend Al-Fadi and I, we've been asking this for years. Please, from the 7th century, tell us what really happened. Thank you. And I really share the same desire by uh, my dear brother here. And I add to it and I say, from the bottom of my heart, I beg of you to investigate these things for the purpose of knowing the truth. You and I grew up believing in the authority of the Quran as the only preserved book in the history of mankind. The same God who revealed the Bible, somehow allowed the Bible to get corrupt, but he did not allow the Quran to change. But now we're sharing with you evidence upon evidence upon evidence that that claim cannot be further from the truth because all of the evidence lead to multiple problems, anywhere from the fact that it was compiled by a human to the fact that the uh, Quranic manuscripts are incomplete they do not support a complete copy from the 7th century. And at the same time, we have multiple ways of reading. Call it Qara'at, call it Ahruf, call it whatever you want. It's not going to change the fact that there are differences. And every time you look at the compilation of the Quran or the compilation of the standardization of the Quran or the standardization of the Qara'at or 
what we call today the 1924 Cairo edition, human factors were involved at the heart of all of these processes, which tells me if God was behind it, then how come he did not preserve it in the first place, allowing people to struggle and wrestle with deciding what were the correct readings, what were the inspired, uh, basically, readings, what is the actual copy or the original copy of the Quran, and the list can go on and on and on. May God open your hearts and your mind to know the truth. Until then, have a blessed day. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.